Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined again today by Dr. Matthew Perry to have another fun conversation about all sorts of things that most people won't tell you. And whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Matthew Perry, thank you for joining me again today. How are you? Hey, Brianne. I'm doing wonderful. It's a beautiful Wednesday right now. Um, clearly had my coffee, so I'm nice and perky. And <laughs> <laughs> ready to talk about some cool stuff. I appreciate you having me on. Of course. Always fun to hop on and just talk about the stuff that no one wants to talk about and perhaps no one really wants to hear because they find out all the stuff that they're doing wrong. Right. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a huge, you know, conflict in some people's, you know, brains that like, you know, what they've been doing might not be the best thing that, you know, um, as far as evidence and as far as, you know, clinically, you know, they could be doing. So we're dispelling some of that. Exactly. So let's dive in. Something that's on my mind this morning after watching some people during the workout today is just thinking about quality of motion and how often we see people like get tired during a workout and all of a sudden like squats become half squats, push-ups become little worms, um, pull-ups become who knows what, like (laughs) the body does crazy things as we get fatigued and it's maybe something that we don't even realize we're doing or maybe it's something that we do realize we're doing but don't take the time to really figure out a better way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a wonderful topic. You know, um, I think at times, and sometimes it's an okay thing, sometimes not, you know, we, we kind of get focused on completing the workout and quote unquote winning, right. You know, and, and that's not necessarily like beating others, but like completing the thing, right. Getting to the finish line. And, you know, I'd say in a, a uh, sporting events, you know, in a competition, like obviously get to the finish line, whether you have to hobble into it, that's, that's all good, you know, but, but when you're training, you know, you need to be focusing on your quality of movement because, you know, we need to understand what, what the training really is, what exercise um, and fitness really is, you know, for kind of for, as a, um, as a cross training modality for your event, right. You know, it's not about lifting, you know, 315 pounds once, you know, in a squat and then a half squat the rest of the time, if your event is about, uh, you know, endurance or, you know, that those kind of things. So it's the principles of it. Absolutely. And I think like the hardest part of any movement is that end range. So it's the bottom of a position. It's the very top of a position and finishing those movements was, which is why a lot of times we see these like half range of motion things in that middle half. <laughs> we don't want to finish, go to the bottom. We don't want to go to the top because it's our weak link um, in the human body just naturally. And by not training that, like we're never actually going to get stronger because we aren't strengthening that entire pathway. Yeah, you know, you need the end ranges of motion, right? You know, when your cross bridges and all that kind of stuff, not getting too technical, you know, are extremely shortened or extremely lengthened, right? If you do not train that range, that's a great point. Um, You know, we don't typically because it's easier, um, but also guess what? When you get to that range again, 
um, is not going to feel good because it's foreign to you. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's a wonderful point. Um, and so, you know, that's why, you know, always, you know, um, aside from, you know, maybe one or two special cases of post-surgically, like we're working the whole range, you know, in, in, in my practice and I'm sure yours, right. Because, uh, um, once we, once we create those kind of, kind of, you know, mind body connection with, with, with those, those areas, guess what? We move better. We feel better. It's just a quick, you know, quick fix, if you will. Yeah. And like you mentioned, it is a, like, it feels weird. It's, it is a foreign position to us because we aren't used to being in that position. Um, the other thing that comes up is it's an unstable position for you. Um, one of the big things with like, when we think stretching mobility, all of that is it's awesome to do, but we never then teach the body actually how to use that motion. So it goes right back into its strong range motion. Um, so it's important to like get into those end ranges during your movement training, but also learn how to strengthen those end ranges by doing good quality of motion. Yeah. Um, I heard this a long time ago and it's always stuck. Gain the range, then train the range, right? You know, you, you need to get to those end ranges, then train yourself in those, you know, you know, that's why, um, you know, a lot of people who've had a shoulder impingement um, and, you know, limited ranges of motion in their shoulders, once they gain that range and they just get kicked out after the big, you know, big box PT clinic, 12 visits, that's it for everybody. And, and, uh, and they try to throw a ball for the first time in 20 years, guess what? They are predisposed to an injury. It's going to happen quickly, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, I mean, that's one of the big problems we see is people doing all this mobility work, but then not doing that work afterwards. Like I do, I do mobility work. I don't do a lot of stretching. What looks like I might be doing stretching is actually isometric contractions to strengthen that end range. But like, if you're doing mobility work, you need to finish that off with actually using that motion again. Yeah. Standing against the wall and stretching your hamstring for 20 or 25 minutes or whatever people are doing nowadays. Um, I, I, I love the point that you were talking about. Sorry. Like, let me, let me back up. Like, <laughs> when you, you got me going real <laughs> my heart rate spiked um talking about the the stretching but you know you, you you actually had a really good uh good point when you are seemingly stretching you know with yourself you know it is a slight isometric contraction right you are putting some light tension throughout the muscle it's like mini strengthening you know it mm -hmm. is mini strengthening um, but when, when you sit at end range, you know, like I said, for those 20 minutes, just, just sitting, stretching something, you're not doing a whole lot. Cool. You might feel a little bit looser for, you know, a couple hours or something like that. But I mean, you're going to return to that initial position very, very quickly. And if you do anything with that newfound end range, uh, it's probably no bueno. <laughs> Sad but true. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think not, you know, 99 out of a hundred people should be training end ranges. We should probably should be dialing back on that quote unquote stretching stuff and work on, you know, kind of, you know, I, I like what, you know, Kelly Sturet coined the term and it's everywhere now, but mobility, right. You know, as opposed to necessarily flexibility. Mm -hmm. 
or pliability. Yeah. And that is a huge difference is, is that flexibility, flexibility versus mobility. Cause it, at least from my standpoint is it comes from a different area. Um, flexibility. Yes. is how much your muscles can extend themselves to allow you to move, but mobility is so many other things combined together. Yes. Yes. Multiple aspects. It spans joints. It spans, you know, ligaments and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and, and as far as foundations of human movement, I would say we need a little bit more mobility from my perspective, more mobility than necessarily flexibility to, to be healthy and all of that. If you're a gymnast or a contortionist, it's, it's different, right? <laughs> uh, because, you know, every time I kind of bring up these topics, you know, someone talks about, oh, well, what if you put yourself in a three inch by three inch box for a living? Okay, well, that person is, a, is an outlier, right? <laughs> But most of us, uh, you know, it's just different. Yeah. And I think the other thing to remember, though, is when people like think about the Cirque Day Slay people, they have amazing mobility, but they are also very strong in those end ranges because they have to be be able to control it, um, be able to control it. Our bodies are the same, like regardless if you are able to squat to parallel or you can go full depth. Um, like you need the stability in your joints to be able to actually control those movements. Yeah. Um, huge, huge. And you know, it's, it's interesting once that switch kind of flips, you know, at least with my patients, they're like, Oh my gosh, I get it. And you know, by, by them getting it, you know, it really means that brain body connection is like really, really firing well, which is, you know, again, just helping you move better and, and be stronger um, throughout the whole thing. But, you know, you, you need to, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Right. <laughs> and then once you kind of, you know, uh, you know, learn what you don't know, you can start making changes. So that's huge. Yeah. What are you looking at with people when you are, whether it's just you're in the gym and just kind of observing, or we're actually working with um, an athlete, what are you looking at when when it comes to quality of movement on things? Oh, great question. Um, So first of all, and like everyone at the gym, like always knows that like I'm always watching. (laughs) It's not like weird or creepy. I've, I've just, that's just what I do. I'm just always looking at how people are moving. And you know what, you know, I have, I've learned and I'm sure, you know, uh, and I know, you know, too, like that everyone moves different, right? You know, there's no textbook way of moving, Mm -hmm. you know, there are better ways to move, but, but no textbook way. And so, you know, what I have, uh, what I found is always, always looking at uh, from the bottom up, you know, I always look at foot position, you know, um, then followed by knee and go kind of going up the chain. Because, you know, if we have an unstable position, you know, ground position, guess what? The rest of this stuff is not going to work well. And I know you've taken, uh, you know, some seminars and stuff on um, and, and you're really into the, the footwork. So, um, you know, I like to hear kind of what, what you're thinking when when you're seeing patients or seeing people. In the gym. Yeah. Um, first off, like you said, no, no two people are going to move the same. We're built differently anatomically. We have different mobility and strength differences. Um, but there's, if you want to call it, like, think about triaging anything, like I'm looking at 
the quality of someone's movement and what are they doing that could potentially harm them? And then how can we clean that up? So think in the squat, someone tries to get lower, quote unquote, and they bend forward more. Mm-hmm. Um, the warm of the push up, um, just different things are going on or the knees collapsing in on a squat and like really figuring out what's going on and why is that happening? Um, for anything standing, absolutely. We're looking at the feet because that foot alignment can change completely how you squat. That foot position is going to change how you run. Like it's going to change anything you do on the ground. So always looking from the bottom up in that. Um, and then I guess in the same way with pushups, you're kind of still like your hands, your feet. So <laughs> looking at like what your hands are doing on the ground, what position they're in. Cause that changes how the shoulder fires. It changes how the trunk fires. Um, and really how that control is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I love, you know, I, I think one of the best kind of prognosticators of, um, of movement hygiene or movement quality for myself, you know, really is something like a deadlift, right? Cause it incorporates a whole lot of things obviously, mm-hmm. a, you know, works every muscle in your body if you're doing it correctly, you know, and as soon as someone starts from the bottom, you'll start seeing, you know, and, and the movement is quality is poor, right? You start seeing those knock knees, the knee valgus, you start seeing, you know, that instant pronation, rapid pronation. Um, and then obviously the rounded back and the, it, everything giving up the chain, right? Um, do you do, do use a lot of overhead uh, squat assessment kind of stuff in your uh, practice? Uh, usually not right away. Um, I mean, if someone can't do a good back squat or front squat, I'm not going to check overhead because like, I know their mobility is crap. Uh, (laughs) So it kind of depends on where their issues are like day one. And then kind of when I'm going to test that and work with it. Yeah. You know, uh, not, not knocking, you know, any discipline or whatever, but you know, you see a lot of trainers and you know, the 24 hour fitnesses and, you know, places like that. Um, the first thing it'll do is put grandma Sue who's 65 years old into like an overhead squat position and then say that she's moving poorly, you know, well, well, well one, <laughs> you know, how, how is that a functional movement for many people, obviously for Olympic lifters, CrossFit, things like that, it doesn't make sense. But, um, also that's such an unstable and advanced position for most people Yeah, you know, that that shouldn't be the first Thing you look at maybe look at like you said a back squat front squat and I, I i like the front squat assessment kind of as an assessment as well mm-hmm. uh, because you know you can see you know core activation you can see a lot of different you know are they hinging back at the hips are they coming forward at the knees is there any kind of gluteal engagement and that stuff so yeah for me i think front squat's such a more functional one because anything we lift we're either deadlifting it from the floor or you know, what's up in front of us and we're more squatting it. Um, it, it activates the trunk a lot more, um, just requires so much more than the back squat does that I just prefer. I, I think there's so much more to be found in a, in a front squat. Absolutely. Um, although I did have a patient, uh, she was born in, uh, uh, Vietnam and, and came to America when she was like younger and stuff. Um, she was talking to me a lot about, how a back squat actually is functional in places like Vietnam, because when you put, and you know, like it's a tangent, but you know, 
because uh, when you're going back from the rice patties or whatever, you know, you that. put the pole on your back mm -hmm. and then you have the two, uh, the two buckets kind of balancing each other out. And I'm like, whoa, like that, that's just amazing. Um, the just inherent core stability some different cultures have, right? Yeah, that, that we that's have. a great point right there. Like something I didn't think about just because it's not something that we do here, but right. that's a great point. Yeah, so, um, you know, but, but that's, that's the purpose of questioning and, you know, really get to the bottom of, you know, what, what function is for that person. Right. Absolutely. Huge. Absolutely. What are like, I guess let's go the direction of like, I mean, we can assess someone all day long, but if someone like, what can someone look for in their own movements to, I guess, help them realize their movements are poor? Great, great question. Um, I would say that in their workouts, you know, if they find that as the reps keep going, that they're finding it easier to perform those reps, you know, throughout the workout, that is a huge, huge indicator that they're probably not doing that, you know, motion as, uh, uh, you know, as well as possible. I also think kind of, you know, along that, you know, if, if you finish a workout and you're like, oh, that was kind of tough, but you know, it's something like CrossFit, other functional fitness, you know, that's made to, you know, if a coach is doing it right, sometimes you're not going to get through the workout. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I, I think that's another good indicator that, that the quality probably wasn't there. That's that, that half squat, the, you know, rounded back deadlifts, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think the other good thing, like, my opinion, filming yourself is always beneficial. Um, yes, I film myself because I do a lot of posting on social media, but a lot of it is because like, I think I'm doing something and then I look at my videos and I'm like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, you can learn a lot from yourself if you just start filming some of your workouts. Yeah, that's huge. Um, the, uh, and you know, like, I, I also like the idea of looking yourself in the mirror, assuming your gym has something like that, right? You know, it's that, it's that feedback because, you know, we're movement, you know, quote unquote experts, right? And, and sometimes we're doing some funky stuff that we just, you know, didn't understand that our bodies are doing. So um, yeah, you, you need that feedback, constant feedback. Um, I also like the idea of one-on-one -on -one coaching, you know? Um, not just with a physical therapist, but a train, just having some other eyes on you. Yeah. Uh, make sure that it's good. Cause once it clicks, it's, it's pretty good as long as you practice it. Yeah. I think the tough thing there is like, you know, there's good and bad in every profession. Um, you and I both bash PTs a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like okay. same thing with trainers, like there's some great ones out there, but there's some bad ones. Coaches, there's some good ones. There's some bad ones. And like, I worked with a number of people who had coaches watching them and they still kept flaring up their backs and things happening. So it's one of those things that working with a trainer is great. At least it gets another eye on you. But if you're still having issues, <laughs> there's probably something that's still being messed there because we should not be moving with pain. Like if you're getting pain every time you do a workout with kettlebell swings or squats or deadlifts, your body's still not moving. Right. Yeah. Um, absolutely. You know, it's important to find somebody that is uh, skilled and has a, 
has a keen eye and, you know, a good way to kind of vet that person. I mean, in any discipline is once you tell them your goals are the things that you're doing actually relating to your goals. Right. I think that's the best, you know, is that person right for you or not, you know, um, um, goal, goal setting and things like that. Um, but yeah, you know, um, there's good and bad in every profession. I was just on a phone with a chiropractor. Um, actually, we we're talking about some things. Um, she's a wonderful person. She's great. Uh, similar, uh, uh, thought processes I do in terms of treatment, but she was like, I thought physical therapy was all ice packs and ultrasound. You don't use any modalities in your practice. I'm like, I got an ice pack in the freezer, but I've never used it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> never gets pulled out. <laughs> no, uh, my, my patients can do that themselves. They're perfectly competent to apply ice to themselves. <laughs> I trust them. Um, so yeah, you know, um, you know, the whole thing is you and I spreading the good word of, of changing people's perspectives on what physical therapy really is. Yeah. Uh, all right, you got to do some work, yeah. but, but you'll get better, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the, like, if nothing else, that's the most important thing. Like at the end of the day, all the hands-on stuff, modalities, like, yeah, it's going to calm the symptoms down, but unless you actually fix what caused it in the first place, you're, how you're moving it's just going to come back. That's it. That's it. These uh, modalities and, you know, $25,000 TENS units and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they're just, you know, tools, right? Uh, tools to hopefully, you know, maybe give, give you some palliative, some pain killing kind of um, stuff, you know, from your brain body so you can get moving again, you know, because that's what's going to fix you. That's what's going to empower you. You know, I mean, I guess every patient could buy a $25,000 machine, but <laughs> fix the problem <laughs> but it does it keeps me out of pain every day when i use it every day if i just have it on 24 hours a day seven days a week i don't i don't hurt <laughs> <laughs> you carry it around like the iv poles right <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome now let's take a little break to talk about naboso technology we're always looking for that way to get an edge up on our competitor but not necessarily by having to spend more time training. That's where Naboso technology can really help you. Naboso technology provides the first ever small nerve proprioceptive insoles and mats designed to stimulate the nervous system and enhance movement. So what does this mean? It means by using their insoles or training barefoot on their mats, you improve the stability of your system you improve your proprioceptive system. So you're naturally creating a more resilient body and a stronger body just by using Naboso. I absolutely love training with their products because I know it's a huge impact in how my strength, stability, and control improves just by incorporating it into my workouts. I highly encourage you to go check out Naboso and see what you may be able to do to step up your game. You can find more out at nabososechnology.com. How is that spelled? N-A-B-O-S-O-technology.com. And if you use code HIGHLYFUNCTIONAL, you can save 10% at checkout. You can also find Naboso Technology along with all of my partners at getyourfixpt.com partners. And now let's get back to our conversation. 
I think another thing to point out too with this is like, depending on who you talk to, they may say cortisone injections are good or bad. Um, there's a lot that physicians don't tell about the soft tissue damage it can cause, but that aside, um, like cortisone injections, going more the natural route, PRP, prolotherapy, things like that. Same thing, like, well, prolo and PRP actually heal the area. Um, cortisone gifts get that inflammation and pain out of there, but you still have to fix what caused it most times. Like if you had a traumatic injury, something tore, and that's why you're getting PRP pro low, like, okay, you know what caused it, <laughs> but like rotator cuff stuff, most knee stuff, that's just kind of there because of chronic issues, hips. It's all there because we aren't moving right. And by just getting that fix of whatever it is to take care of the area you're like it's still going to come back at some point yeah i mean you, you you never fixed the underlying cause in the first place right you just numbed it a little bit you know so i wish and i think there's more physicians doing it but you know really talking about the side effects of cortisone as opposed to talk telling people hey this will get you out of pain and you'll be fine you know, say, Hey, like this is meant to, you know, decrease some of the swelling and inflammation. Um, but you still need to be doing X, Y, Z in order to, to fully get out of pain. Right. Cause I mean, if, if your shoulder's moving like crap, it's going to move like crap after the injection It's going to move like crap, you know, five, 10, 20 years from now, you know? So, um, we need, um, as a profession, I think to do what we can, to, you know, educate people, you know, that, that although in, in America, I know I'm 10, I'm getting on a tangent now, but a soapbox, I should say, <laughs> you know, um, that in America, we're taught to, to not feel pain ever. Hey, you have a little bit of pain, take this. Hey, this kind of hurts. Okay, take this. This doesn't work, take this, right? You know, um, but, but none of that is a cure. That is a temporary sign of relief. So you can hopefully do some other things to really address the problem. Yeah. You know, I was thinking the other day, I don't have the TV on that often unless I'm like watching, well, now football's over, but watching football or like I may have it on for background noise while I'm cooking dinner, that sort of thing. But I'm like every, at least every other commercial is some sort of, drug commercial yep. and like it's just down and I get it like some of them are absolutely necessary like type 1 diabetes you have an issue you need to make sure you have like insulin in your system um like there are a, there is a time and a place for some things but like so many of them was like can we just improve lifestyle or figure out like what's causing these issues because there's a like we don't need to be on awesome medications. Yeah. You know, all the, um, ins, you know, insulin injections and stuff we're talking about for type, type, type two diabetes, you know, type one, you can't help. Right. But type two is a preventable dis disease, right. You know, for all intents and purposes, like instead of, Hey, take this insulin. And my, if my stepdad listens to this, he'll, he'll laugh, you know, <laughs> he has type two diabetes. he's like, Oh, I'm on insulin. Now I can eat what I want. <laughs> <laughs> there was a very long conversation that uh had some explicitives that uh that followed <laughs> from me 
but um, you know, how, how about a good diet and some exercise as, as the, the cure, as the medication, right? Yeah. Same with um, uh, COVID, right? We, we were just waiting for this life raft of that, of the vaccine, right? Oh, the vaccine's here. It's over. I'm done. It's like, no, they <laughs> <laughs> can protect you a little bit, but if you still got this comorbidities, you know, you still need to be very, very careful. But how about if we were talking about fitness and exercise to decrease those comorbid comorbidities so you don't, you know, have to worry, even worry about the vaccine? Yeah. I was listening to a podcast fairly recently and it was a, I think he's in California. It was gut health guy. Um, And just getting, going into like, when you look at all of the, like, for the most part with comorbidities, the people who have gotten the like sickest and died from COVID, when you start looking at like what else is going on and how much gut health plays into all of that just because our gut health does impact our immune system and like the worse our gut health is the worse our inflammation is and naturally we can't fight it yeah um what what do they say there's more microflora in your gut than there are stars in the sky you know so to to automatically write something like that off as a cause for a whole lot of different you know issues you know, um, I think that's changing a little bit, but you know, like, you know, why aren't we starting there and resetting your, your gut health with some, you yeah. know, a good diet. Guess what? Maybe that fibromyalgia wouldn't be as significant. Maybe, you know, the lupus and the, you know, cancers and, you know, some of the other things, you know, um, it'd be interesting to see what the research is on, on all that actually. Yeah. I, um, I do know they found a lot of research that they have found a link um, talking cancer that it does thrive off sugar. Mm-hmm. So if you can get the carbs down, especially those simple carbs, um, it can help with the getting rid of the cancer stuff. So like, there's just so much that we can do differently. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I try to, I try to kind of check my biases at the door a little bit, but here they come. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm a huge, um, you know, proponent, not for every person, but, you know, as just a healthy way of living, like, you know, a ketogenic diet and, and, you know, modified kind of keto, yeah. you know, diets, right. Not zero or one gram of carbs, but, you know, lower carb. Um, and, you know, the research has supported it, you know, um, helping reverse type two diabetes. It's the only diet that, that has that I know of, um, that has, you know, founded in the research. Right. Um, so making small changes every day can have huge implications. Yeah. And you don't have to do full keto by any means. Like I'm, I'm about 20, between 25 and 30% carb during the day. Um, then 25% protein, about 50 ish fat. But my carbs are all veggies, a little bit of fruit in the morning, um, quinoa, beans, things like that. Like, it's not the processed, like, I'm not keto, but I'm also not eating all of the, like, higher grain processed stuff either. Yeah. You know, um, so you're saying you're not eating a whole bag of potato chips as your, as your carbohydrate? Yeah, um, just about, like, half a bag is about... <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>, lifestyle change. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, you know, that, that's the other thing, right. Taking out some of the processed foods, you know, we, uh, and maybe just kind of save some of this for uh, another conversation, but, you know, we're talking about detoxing and stuff like that, like, cause it's the new year and all that, you know, really, you know, my feelings on detox, I'm not a nutritionist, um, but, you know, you know, reading research and things like that, you know, yeah, you're eating, you're drinking smoothies and stuff, but what you were doing before was eating like McDonald's and like Burger King and all that kind of stuff. Right. So you've made a huge shift in your diet and no wonder why you feel better. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. What's really interesting though, is like with sugar, the, what, what it does to the body one, it actually is almost like a drug to our system with how addictive our body responds to it. But um, I actually had a client in the past that she just chose to kind of cut out sugars from her system, from her, like clear everything out. And she literally got like a rash because it was all the sugars, like trying to escape from her body. Oh, I guess she was detoxing. Um, she ran half marathon like that just because like she felt fine, but it was just like, she knew it was just trying to detox. Like it was crazy. It was a withdrawal, a true withdrawal. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it lights up our brain, right? Um, that's why it's in everything because we're, we're truly addicted to it. Um, wow. That's, that's amazing. She she did okay in the, and you said the half marathon? It was a half. Yeah. She did good. Nice. nice. So yeah, small changes, (laughs) small changes for sure. Awesome. Um, what else is on your mind today? all kinds of things. (laughs) Um, so (laughs) I was, uh, actually, I was actually talking with a colleague, uh, yesterday, just a little bit. Um, he showed me a model of pretty much just to get a visual. It was the human skeleton and in each kind of major joint, there was a, um, I think it's either an orange or a blue circle and the blue represented stability Mm, yeah, the orange represented mobility. And I, I think from what I took from that was, that's, that's what it should have. So I think yeah. the shoulder was mobility, the low back was stability. And so we kind of started on an interesting conversation, we're still kind of going through it. But, you know, I, I understand those kind of models and stuff. And I'm not sure what the theory was. But <laughs> What, 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 what we're really missing in these kind of things are, hey, this bot, the body moves as a whole. There's not one place that should be completely stable and not one place that should be completely mobile, right? Um, so it's, uh, it, it's really interesting, the disconnect between some of these theories and like what actually is happening in the body. I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Um, so what you're, I can't remember the actual name of it, but what you're referring to is, um, our joint by joint system, which we basically alternate. Yes. Each joint has to have some mobility and some stability, but we alternate. So we have a fairly stable joint, then a fairly mobile joint, then a fairly stable joint, then a fairly mobile joint all the way from our foot up to the top of our body and and down through our hands. Um, and it really, like when you start looking at things, um, from a clinical standpoint, uh, from a coaching standpoint, it definitely makes sense when you start thinking like, okay, like the hip and the ankle need to have like this much motion in order to 
just be able to sit, walk, run, stand, um, do all your normal day-to-day stuff. Um, but the knee doesn't need as much motion. The hip or the pelvis doesn't necessarily need as much motion. It's usually a pretty locked down area for the most part, um, with a little bit of rotation, but, um, but yeah, it's a very, it's a fascinating thing to really dive into because it like, it really helps understand how the body truly functions as the whole unit in order to both be mobile and stable at the same time. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So, so, so that wasn't necessarily talking about like the low back should like never move. It was just saying, (laughs) as we kind of go up the chain, it should be a more stable segment than the hip. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the thoracic spine, um, kind of be next major joint up. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, we didn't get too much into it, but you know, like I, I, I just always kind of caution saying, you know, that, um, uh, to, to, to this theory, you know, saying that things should inherently like not be moving. <laughs> that could be dangerous, right? That's the same thing as, you know, uh, our, you know, arthritis and disc degeneration and things like that. <laughs> yes, we do need movement, which, um, fun fact, I, uh, actually, so I met with a chiropractor recently. I met with a chiropractor recently as well, who's does a lot more sports performance stuff. And, um, we were talking about my foot. We were talking about my shoulder. And so he looks and found my left hip was really locked up. And he's like, did you realize it was locked up? I'm like, nope. (laughs) Once again, if we don't catch our own issues, um, most likely that was from the boot. But what he realized, which I've known for a long time, um, I just kind of didn't process how it played into things, but my rib cage was really restricted. Mm. So I don't get a whole lot of line expansion. So, um, that's and so guess. just kind of thinking how that plays into the shoulder and everything else. Um, and even just like thinking about trunk rotation and how much that rib movement is necessary. And um, it really is like one thing can impact other things so greatly if, if things aren't moving right. Yeah. I mean, the motion is going to come from somewhere, right? You know, um, and so you're probably going to get that rotation. But yeah, where's, where's that rotation where's coming from? from? Your yeah. ribs are locked up. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's huge. And, you know, I mean, like we, you know, keep harping on everything in the body is connected. Right. So, so something has implications on, on others. You might not feel it right away. Like you might not have felt your hip was locked up, but you know, um, who knows if you didn't get that addressed sooner rather than later, that could lead to implications later on. Yeah, absolutely. And even just by the simple things I did to loosen that up, um, the fatigue I was feeling in my foot still has gone away. So just like, just, and I know how the foot and hip are interconnected. So it makes sense to me, but, um, but yeah, just by, I needled myself twice, did some stuff to just work on that motion. And, uh, yeah, that foot's firing a lot better. Wow. I mean, it's truly, again, you know, what, uh, what I was saying before, you know, you know, not knowing what you don't know. Yeah. Now, you know, and cool. Now now you can fix it. (laughs) Absolutely. And it, it goes to show why, like, why everybody needs an external eye. Like, even a therapist, even as a coach, like, I can pick up stuff from other people or, like, other people can look at my movements and figure out what's going on, whereas we can't look at ourselves 
in a, you know, the same way and really break things down. Correct. Um, you know, I continue to, uh, you know, take classes in my gym, you know, um, I value the, uh, you know, uh, coach Bo, Bo Francie, you know, his, his expertise and, you know, seeing how I'm moving and for making some corrections and having me think outside the box of my own programming. Right. You know, because I, you know, we always bias towards uh, the things we're good at and the things we like doing, right. We need to get out of that. So <laughs> absolutely need to get out of that. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's nice going to class because I don't have to think about my own programming and I can just let someone else do it for me, but having, coaches also watch and see what's going on is super helpful to, to make improvements and tweaks. Yeah. Um, it's huge, but you know, it goes back to what you were saying, you know, there needs to be a, a truly skilled eye, right. You know, it's not extremely hard to get a personal training certification a CrossFit level one certification. It's about what you do with those things. Right. You know, even to some extent, a, a, a doctor of physical therapy, right. You know, you have to put in the seat hours, but you know, there are still people who get out there and do nothing but ice and ultrasound. You know, <laughs> so um, what do you do with these certs, and what are you trying to uh, to improve upon as far as your skill set? Well, then I think you also like it's always important to like recognize where your weak links are, and where you can and like knowing people to send them to. Mm. Um, like, there's a personal training program actual school i think it's a i can't remember how long they're in um here locally though um but they brought me in to discuss running technique and just kind of how like just like any movement like there actually are some things you need to be looking at running technique wise um and not necessarily to make them all great at running but at least understanding like there's other people out there that you can send runners to um same thing like I'm not going to work with a cyclist, but I know people who do work with cyclists that I can send them to. Um, like everyone has strengths, everyone has weaknesses. And I think it's important for people to recognize what their weaknesses are and know when they need to get another eye on it. Yeah. Um, you know, but it, it does, that takes some personal development. You want to talk about personal <laughs> Very true. <laughs> I'm just going to be real with you. You know, like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Like, you know, I, I feel that, you know, I definitely can't help every person on this planet, but if I have a big enough network of people, then I can help a whole lot of people Yeah, a whole lot more than if I was just trying to be selfish and work with someone with pelvic floor dysfunction, although it's not something I do. Right. Um, so, you know, uh, you need to surround yourself around the people that, that feel that same way. Yeah. And obviously like, an injury is an injury. I mean, I definitely, um, I've seen a young girl, very high level Taekwondo athlete, um, with a knee injury, but it was like, if she wanted to go, like we got her knee injury taken care of. If she wanted to work with someone further besides her coach to get like better at things, that wasn't going to be me, but I could at least clear up what was going on in her knee. There you go. And, you know, you're part of her team at that point, it, it seems, you know, and so if any injuries occur, you know, you kind of have that, uh, that rapport and that, that feedback. And, you know, I try to work with all my patients, their chiropractors or coaches, their other people in their, in their network, because that, you know, that, that, that benefits the, 
um, the patient, right? Um, I'm tired of this disjointed healthcare system, if you will, you know, where it's like, oh, okay, I'm only working with you in this one little area and, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah, it definitely, team approach always works better. Always, always have your team. Always. <laughs> awesome. Well, Matt, let's kind of close it up. Um, I know we've been on a number of conversations, but if anyone wants to find you, where can they find you? Uh, so I am most active on uh, Facebook. If you, uh, you just look me up, Auto Nest Therapies, A-U-T-O hyphen N-E-S-S Therapies, committed to your autonomy, happiness, and wellness. We are trying to teach, empower, and resolve y'all. So uh, please reach out. I'm also on Instagram. Um, I love talking with people about these subjects. And if you found some value from our conversations, please reach out. Awesome. Once again, this has been fun. We'll definitely do it again. Absolutely. Can't wait. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation today. And before we close out, I want to share with you a program I have called Resilient Shoulders. As OCR athletes, shoulder issues are very common. And if you are like most athletes, you use the lacrosse ball, you stretch, you do all of these things to try to improve the mobility of the shoulders. And yet you continue to have pain. Many times it's because the right things are not being done to really solve those problems, those underlying issues. And that's why I created Resilient Shoulders. Resilient Shoulders is an online platform that gives you the necessary things to do to resolve your shoulder issues, as well as minimize the risk of more issues happening in the future. So head over to getyourfixpt.com courses to check out the Resilient Shoulder course, as well as my other online programs. And once again, thank you so much for listening today. I really hope you enjoyed it. And now let's go out and be highly functional. <laughs>